You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the Breeders' Cup. Good morning. Welcome to the show. It's Friday the 24th of March. Another beautiful day here in Dubai on the eve of the World Cup, more of which in just a moment. A little later in the show, Lydia Hislop and I will be cantering through the global horse racing and bloodstock news. I'll also be hearing from trainer Amy Murphy, who saddled one of the first significant two-year-old winners of the season in France at Saint-Cloud yesterday. And she's got high hopes for a jumping winner in France at the weekend as well. And continuing on a jumping theme, Hurrah for Constitution Hill's damn queen of the stage because she has produced a perfectly formed full sister to the hurdler of a generation. We'll be hearing from breeder Jane McGiven a little later in the show. First of all, though, back here in Dubai, plenty going on and plenty to look forward to tomorrow. One of the key British trained horses that eyes will be trained upon is Westover, who takes his chance in a brilliant edition of the Shima Classic. The runaway Irish Derby winner has to beat the Breeders' Cup turf hero Rebels Romance, has to beat last year's winner Shariar, has to beat the runaway Saudi winner Mostadaf, trained by John and Thady Gosden, and also perhaps one of the best turf horses in the world, the Japanese Horse of the Year, Equinox. Westover's trainer is Rafe Beckett. I caught up with him earlier today. This is what he had to say. He, he trained very well this morning, and uh, we're, we're going there in in good shape, I think. Draw is a significant help to us, I think. It's a short run for that first bend. It's a very deep renewal. What, what price is last year's winner? He's- Shariar's last year's winner. And of course, Shariar went to Royal Ascot as the, as the great certainty. He didn't quite come off. But the fact that he could run well there, win this last year and be a 12 to 1 shot tells you about all you need to know. That's in a nutshell, isn't it? So, you know, it's going to be tough for him, but uh, we're looking forward to it. How long have you had this in, in, in mind for, for him? Because I, I will confess I hadn't realised this was his target till till relatively recently. Really since just after the arc. Uh, a number of reasons for that. First of all, he's also needs to be trained. You know, it's quite, uh, uh, as is obvious, he's an exuberant sort of horse. And uh, holidays are not really uh, made for him. So, Rafe, you, you go into the race with what level of confidence in, in, in his fundamental ability to mix it with some of the world's very best i think if he hits the frame we'll be happy so that was rafe beckett this is george bowie who unsurprisingly is breaking new ground he seems to do that rather a lot this time with a horse called al dasim who's been mopping up here in the uae and runs in the alquaz sprint and the extraordinary thing about him is he's only a three-year-old um and he's the i think the first three-year-old ever to run in the alquaz sprint and he's pretty hotly fancied to, to win it against some good established older horses. Uh, George, it's a it's a big ask, but he he looks as though he he might just be up to it. How's he getting on? Yeah, he's doing good, Nick. Um, he look obviously he's adapted very well out here in Dubai, and um, I didn't expect him to to improve as much as he has. But we hope that he'd be very competitive against his own age. And Super Saturday was a good trial for for tomorrow night. He looks to have really good natural innate innate speed and and you can harness that enthusiasm well uh how do you think this race will differ from what he's faced already i think the biggest the biggest sort of challenge for him was was stepping up against the older horses just going that bit faster and 
you know, he, if anything, he was a bit over exuberant before and he is switching off. And I think the faster they go, I thought it for a while, the faster they go, the, the more he'll show that turn of foot. And, you know, he, he relaxed very good and had a nice lead on Super Saturday. And uh, he's drawn he's drawn well to, to attack tomorrow and, and hopefully should, you know, give a good account to himself. Most trainers wouldn't even think about running a three-year-old in a race like this. How long has it been your mind that this should be the this should be the target? I think when the um, when the list of horses came out for the three-year-old division, it, it did look like he might end up at the top of the you know, top of the pile if he if he transferred his form over to Dubai. But um, you know the program works well for him. Super Saturday into World Cup, if he was very impressive, and and he was, so we. We thought we'd give it a go. It'd be a shame to take him home and um, and not have tried. I want to talk a little bit about his his sire, Harry Angel, because he was a very brilliant horse and a, a very expressive horse him, himself. It sounds as though you've got a bit of a carbon copy. Yeah, he's um, he's he was a pretty fiery horse before, and, and just seems to have relaxed so much for for training out here on the track. And um, his rider Brian King's done a super job with him, but. You know, he's he's just got such a good brain. I think you know, he makes me very relaxed, sort of on race day, because he doesn't move. And um, yeah, look, he's, he's certainly going the right way. And, and we're obviously a big fan of the stallion, two stakes horses from two horses that we've had by him so far. So um, we were keen to get our hands on a few of the yearling sales, and, and luckily did. What have you picked up this time? So you've got a, a few a few two year olds by him. Yeah, we were sent the homebred. Um, Mohammed Rashid sent us one and, and I bought a cheap horse at Doncaster um, and a filly who just might take a bit more time but yeah, look, they're, they're, they're not in a huge rush um, Aldassim and Prover both got going sort of in the back end of their two-year-old career and although they're both sprinters they're not immediately early um, so I think you know we'll be giving these ones a bit of time and um, yeah, I think you know, he himself Harry Angel didn't win until September time, he didn't break his maiden until then. So they're horses who seem to go on and, and and take their training very well. It's interesting that because uh, we started the conversation by saying Aldassim's doing something unusually precocious for a horse of his age. Yet you you gave him time. I suppose that goes to show that if you are willing to be a little patient, the dividends can can be reaped then quite quite quickly. I hope so. Yeah, that he's, he's a horse who he actually ran quite early for his first trainer in, as a as a two year old, and it was obviously showing plenty then. And you know, he didn't he hasn't really got going until the turn of his into his two to his three year old career. So, look, I think they're obviously a talented breed of animal. And um, but yeah, he's he's. Uh, I think when we stop with him after the Alquaz, he will furnish again. I just seen him stood up this morning. He's he's still quite weak and. I do think he'll he'll improve again when when we stop them. That was George Bowie. Uh, good luck to him with Al Dasim in tomorrow's Al Quaz Sprint. He is a trainer who thinks differently to most, and it is reaping dividends. As I welcome into the show, uh, Lydia Hislop, who's joining me from back home this morning, uh, and Lydia, it's not the first time in in a day that George Bowie has um, caused us to to raise an eyebrow. What what he says is as interesting as how he's training his horses. Definitely. I mean, he's a trainer who explores every angle um, and he has done an interview with Maddie Playle, um, who works at the Racing Post and is out in Dubai uh, 
reporting. And there's a couple of things that he says uh, with the article that has been reproduced that, that, that I think should cause some concern and, and hopefully might be even more of a wake up call. I mean, he's essentially saying that he plans to use his training base in Britain as the launch pad for a global campaign and that he's increasingly focusing on sending his horses abroad due to the worrying state of British racing um, and, uh, you know, the, the lack of prize money and all of that. But there are two other points within the article that I thought were, were very interesting. He mentioned about the Dubai Carnival, that he's going to be um, supporting it big time next year because he says that there's a better programme as it's more conducive to horses going through the grades. And I know that that's often a refrain here in Britain that amongst trainers, that they feel that the uh, racing programme doesn't incentivise uh, ambition and it, instead that it, it, in, it in, incentivises um, plotting and planning rather than just simply encouraging a horse to improve and go up through the grades. I mean, Mark Johnson has talk, talked about that uh, many, many times uh, previously. I, I, I'm not sure about that argument. I think there are there are pros and cons to all systems. We just happen to have a, ha a handicap-dominated one, but probably an overly handicap-dominated one. I do take that point. But the thing that really... Uh, worried me was that George was talking about uh, he was talking to a jumps trainer of his uh, a jumps trainer who's a friend of his and he said we were talking about how there are only seven runners in the champion hurdle the foreign market has probably changed that as well as you don't have the same number of horses coming for the flat coming from the flat he says I've got owners who want to sell horses at their peak and if you got a horse rate in the 80s and 90s you're not going to send it jumping for 50 grand when you can get half a million for it to go to Australia we're losing horses to the Middle East America and Australia and he says it's changing the breed almost well the only thing I'd quibble with that uh, sentence is the word almost it is changing the breed and we need to wake up and smell the coffee about that because middle distance horses are what uh, Britain and the rest of Europe do well um, certainly compared to, to the rest of the world maybe bar Japan they do, they do them very well as well mm -hmm. but we we need to be concerned about the loss of or the, the lack of emphasis on that kind of horse within the breed. And, it, you know, if we're if we're changing to cheap speed, fast, precocious speed, which we undoubtedly have. And the more we accelerate towards that, the greater it is to the detriment of the breed. And I would argue the detriment to our uh, racing programme on the flat, but also over jumps in the way that George has highlighted. Yeah. Also, of course, if if you are setting yourself up as a as chiefly a trading nation, if your racing isn't isn't valuable enough to be viable, then you are still going to need these horses that are bred for middle distances to be attractive to outside interests, Australia, Hong Kong, America, the Middle East, and so on. Um, the, the Exactly the, the horses that George is talking about. So either which way, you're going to need to to produce horses that can run longer than longer than six furlongs. Of course, part of what what you touched on there, Lydia, is uh, an, an attempt to to make British racing more competitive. There has been a well, I was going to say a tinker, but it's a bit more than that. There's been a change to handicapping rules uh, to enable horses to run in class five or six handicaps. Just explain what it's gone from and to. 
Okay, the first thing I should um, point out is that I am a member of the racing group, which has approved uh, this change. The change was proposed by the National Trainers Federation and it is approved by the racing group, the industry's racing group, for a 12-month period to see, um, where to, for a trial, essentially. Um, and essentially it means that horses, uh, you would usually need to run three times uh, to get a handicap mark or twice if you win first time out um from the 1st of april of this year flat horses who win on the second their second start will be uh, provided they get a rating of 77 or lower will be eligible to run in class 5 and class 6, six handicaps on their third start rather than being pushed into a wait for age age race instead um and I think there are pros and cons to this, but the National Trainers Federation would argue that it gets horses into the system earlier so that they are able to be competitive rather than ha being run in, they would argue, um, a race for their third run in which they are not competitive. But you know, there are, uh, there are um, cases on the other side of the argument as well. Yeah, I can see where the trainers are coming from here as far as that they don't want to push horses out of their grade if they think they've only got a class four or class five horse. On the other hand, at a time when we are trying to make British racing as competitive as possible, when you're giving the handicapper less evidence to work with, the handicapper will surely then automatically start to be a bit more defensive, could even give that horse a little more weight. And if the horse is um, of significant ability, you're likely to be making the races uh, quite uncompetitive. So I... I'm not sure that you are going to be increase the competitiveness of horse racing by by doing this, though I can see where the trainers are coming from. Uh, I think that is a is a concern. Um, hence the the twelve month month trial. When when you have less evidence, necessarily there is a, a heightened risk that the that the initial mark that you allot might be uh, less reflective of what the horse is capable of achieving at, at that stage. The British Horse Racing Authority handicappers would say that they will they will just purely handicap on the basis of evidence. Um, but we, we shall see. I mean, that is why there is a 12-month trial to see what the impact of this cha change is and whether there are other repercussions and unintended consequences. Right. If you enjoy uh, two-year-old racing, and I know many of you do, this is a great time of the year because it's when you start seeing those first-season stallions breaking through, making an impact, and you see which trainers are, are out of the blocks quickly. You thought there was nothing to be interested in because you were only concentrating on the UK or Ireland or the US. You should have been looking at Saint-Cloud, 125 yesterday, the prix du début for unraced two-year-olds, obviously, uh, and some very smart prospects in here, likes of Francis Graffard and um, some of the big trainers represented, Carlos Lerner, Conmarnan uh, had a pretty smart filly running in the race. But the winner was Myconian from the first crop of Magna Grisha, a first winner for him, trained in Newmarket by Amy Murphy, who joins me now. Amy, that is a, that's a big blow to strike straight off the bat. You must be pretty thrilled with that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, hugely uh, thrilled to to sort of get the first one in the bag, and at least it tells you a little bit about where the rest of them are as well. So um, it's all you know. It's always a bit of a nerve-wracking time when you unleash. They can all be good over the winter when you're sitting watching them train all together, but when you unleash the first one out onto the track is uh, is when you find out you've either got a good bunch or a bad bunch. But uh, thankfully, um, no, he he did the business, and 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 the main thing for me as a, as a trainer is you know uh, he looked really professional throughout and, and that's you know how, how we try to have the two-year-olds and the second and the third had pretty big reputations going into the race 
Yeah, I mean, uh, Tony Bocconi, who sort of, you know, rides the majority of our horses out here, um, he, uh, he he obviously was on Graffards and, and sort of said to me beforehand, we, you'll need a good one to beat us. Um, so, uh, and, and, but the pair of them knuckled down and um, in the last furlong. And I think, you know, like Mikel said afterwards, he said, don't think that, you know, you didn't have more in the bag because he said every time I gave him a squeeze, he was responding and, and if anything, he was running through the line. I mean, the one worry that, um, my husband Lemos and I had coming here was that the four and a half might just be a bit sharp for him, um, and I think it probably looked that way. But he got away with it, and hopefully he'll improve for the for the five and even probably the six furlongs in the future. Yeah, as I said, a notable blow for the for the sire as well, Magna Grisha. Um, just tell me a little bit about how you how you came by him. Uh, so Lemos, uh, my husband bought him at. Um, the uh, September's uh, Tats Island sale, uh, he gave 27,000 euros for him. Um, and uh, Daniel and Anoush, who are his owners, have been great supporters of ours. Um, they obviously started out with Manhattan Jungle last year in a similar sort of scenario. And then uh, we later on sold it to, to Eclipse Thoroughbreds. Um, so, no, I mean, Daniel and Anoush have, have been good investors of ours and they've gone out and back to Lemos and I. Um, and uh, thankfully, hopefully, we can reap the rewards for it. And you're back to St. Clue with another one next week? Yeah, so we've got, we're, Jade and I are just, uh, Jade, my travel head girl, who obviously is clocking up some serious mileage. Um, she, her and I are just about to leave St. Clue with yesterday's runners and head back across the across the channel. Um, we will load up in the morning because we've got Kalashnikov at Otoy on Sunday. And then uh, Magical Morning um, back here at uh, St. Clue on Tuesday. So uh, a 12-hour... <laughs> Um, turn around at home and back get back on the road. Oh, great to see Kalashnikov's ba- uh, back out. Well, what's the what race is he running in at Otoy? Uh, so he's running in a Clash One, Class One conditions race uh, on Sunday. Um, he he obviously he looked like he was going to go on very well in the Denman, and then he just had a, a Jack Quinlan, who obviously rides him, said you know he came to two out and just had a little gurgle. So we've we've given him a wind up. Um, and uh, yeah, we're just gonna. He's, he's gonna run uh, in, in in a conditions race on Sunday, and uh, you know we'd be we'd be hoping he'd run very well. Everything should be right for him now. Fantastic. Best of luck next week. Well done with Myconi and Amy. Uh, Royal Ascot next stop, or can you get a run in between? Ah, it's always, of course, the, the it's always the dream um, to be good enough for Royal Ascot. I mean, he may go to somewhere like Chester for the Lily Agnes next, um, and uh, and and then hopefully we can continue the dream from there. Amy Murphy, another another trainer in, in Newmarket who is prepared to think differently, take horses to all sorts of different places and is reaping the, the dividends accordingly. Well done to her. Well done to Magna Grisha. First win for him. At Chaldean and Noble Style, two of last season's best two-year-olds, the Dewhurst winner and the Jim Crack winner, could go head-to-head in one of the key 2000 Guineas trials. Both Andrew Balding and Charlie Appleby, their respective trainers, have nominated the Greenham at Newbury as a likely starting point for both. Which is rather exciting, Lydia, as it is only a couple of weeks away. That's really, really exciting. I mean, you've got Chaldine, who was progressing through the ranks, won the Aikham at Group 3 level, the Champagne Stakes at Group 2 level, and then the Dewhurst, all of those over seven furlongs. And then you've got Noble Style, who had a, a little bit of an interrupted um, season, but he got he uh, got back for the uh, Jim Crack 
um, having won at the July meeting prior to that. He won the gym pack in imp impressive fashion. And then uh, I think there was a small setback afterwards, wasn't there? And he wasn't able to finish out the season in the way that they had hoped. Interesting pedigrees for both in that there's a lot of precocious speed for both of them on the dam side of the family. Um, and they will be trying a mile eventually if they go for the 2000 guineas for the first time. I'm a massive fan of Noble Style. I think he's got a huge amount of ability. But Chaldean also chiselled his way into my affections with the way that he went went about things very straightforwardly. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I think one is a bit more of a chiseler and the other one's got a bit of dazzle. Yeah, flashiness to him, yeah. And it, it will be it will be interesting to see at what trip they are most effective. But uh, yeah, I'm that is a great early clash. I do hope that that happens. It would be a, a way to start off the flat season with a bang, albeit, of course, you know, we'll have started with the Lincoln and would have had the Craven meeting at Newmarket immediately prior to it. But it's good to have, to know that you might be getting a clash like that at Newbury. Do you know that old adage that mayors improve for racing when they're in foal through that 128 day uh, 120 day period where they can run having been covered yes is that statistically proven i've no idea <laughs> I, 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 I suspect that's confirmation bias but i've got no proof of that <laughs> well if you're one of those people as dennis norton used to say who believe that to be the case then you can no longer do that in france because it has been taken uh, away from the things you're allowed to do you cannot now run a filian mare in france that has been covered they're now banned from racing uh, Why? This quite an in well this is an interesting story i i sent this to you last night um emma berry has written a really interesting piece in the thoroughbred mm. daily news today where she's interviewed both representatives of france gallo and uh, the eminent vet and um embryology and reproductive expert des laden about this and it seems a bit ridiculous to me what do you think it seems the same to me. I mean, I read the article. It's a great article. It goes through the pros and cons. But at no point have France Gallot really explained why they have decided to do this. Uh, it's, it's talking about bringing in line the rules for thoroughbred racing in France with those for Arabians and for standard breads that are used for trotting. But it means that they're out of line with the rest of Europe. In Britain and Ireland, you can com compete up to 120 days after the mare has been covered. And if not pregnant, the mare can continue to race. Uh, the, there's been criticism about the communication from France Gallot um, to the, the breeding industry uh, that they're, you know, this is announced without sufficient um, consultation in the middle of the covering season. Uh, France Gallot have obviously pushed back on the idea that there has been no consultation, listing the processes that it has gone through. And that has, you know, echoes of what happens in, in, in British racing when uh, uh, something is proposed and uh, the, uh, the authorities imagine that everybody has fully engaged in this and then discover at the point of actually announcing it that that is not the case. But nonetheless, I, I still haven't haven't um, been provided with why this has happened. I mean, there's Leiden. Is it Leiden? 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 Leiden. 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 Thank you. Um, has makes the point that he thinks there's been some inflammatory language around the announcement in the sense that talking about racing pregnant mares in the modern um, era where there are welfare concerns, that that sounds really inflammatory. And he's making the point at the, at the time um, that mares are racing and they are technically in foal, you know, the the embryo is, is, is comparatively tiny and, and, and makes no impact in terms of the, the mares um, athletic ability or comfort or, 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 or there's, there's no detrimental effect to her. 
Um, and he thinks that, that that this just sounds and has has been described very badly. And I would tend to agree with him. I I just I don't I would like to understand the reasoning much better. And I think it's an important option for people as well. It's an important option for owner breeders to be able to to do that to 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 cross over a a racing and a breeding career. It can as much as anything else it can be extremely cost effective and if it's safe and cost effective and keeps people in the game keeps people producing horses you know that you're you're asking them to then skip another year and that's yeah. another that's probably another 20 grand's worth of keep so and the implication is that if the mare is found not to be pregnant they still can't race i know i know so i would urge france gallo maybe to take some more counsel and and have another look at that but it's a really interesting story if you've got time to read it go to tdn uh, thoroughbred daily news and read that piece by emma berry we always turn our attentions to jump racing am i wrong to say poor sean quinlan after no, what not. happened at sedgefield they say two runner race he's riding a two to five favorite was it two to five a two to nine two to nine favorite in a match he he fell off three or four strides after the last fence and it wasn't it's not one that he's going to be wanting to replay over and over again but uh, he was then the recipient of an absolute volley on social media, not for apparent incompetence, but for all sorts of other things. And yeah, I, I've got, I'll just put it out there. If you really think jockeys jump off horses, then I don't know. They just don't. I don't. I, I, and I, I realize it might have happened once or twice in our lifetime, but I'm not having it. As a, gen as a general rule. Yes, quite. Um, it's I mean, the horse uh, tell him, listen, is is lugging left approaching the final fence he's kidding around and sean quinlan is clearly doing everything he can to make the horse concentrate he sort of crashes through the last fence but he gets all four of his feet out and lands properly but then he sort of leans and jinks to his left and unfortunately sean quinlan is unseated. He also gets a kick in the head as well at, at that point. I mean, he was mortified afterwards. And, you know, the the idea that, I mean, I, I understand the, the setup, it's, it's because it's a match, isn't it? And it puts a huge amount of pressure on the jockey who's riding the odds on favourite in that circumstance, by the way. Um, and, you know, the the it allows those people who believe that racing is in some way crooked to suggest that something that is just unfortunate and embarrassing for Sean Quinlan has another uh, another uh, dimension to it. And it, it again, this is this is sort of com again confirmation bias, you know, for, from people who believe the sport to be somehow crooked, who believe that it's likely that jockeys are going to jump off and risk themselves uh, with horses travelling at, at, at that speed, which is ridiculous um you know with with these extreme exceptions that you that you mentioned but you know as a, as a as a general rule there is a perception out there among amongst punters amongst people who believe that horse racing in, in some ways is not straight uh that this is somehow typical of what you might expect from horse racing and it is utterly absurd and yes like you i feel very sorry for sean quinlan um, is there is there any is there any um whip dimension to this do you think in terms of of sean uh you know adjusting his his style or not well i don't know i'm not enough of a, an expert on technique to to be able to assess that um I, some jockeys tend to ride with a very still lower leg mm. uh, and others tend to be a bit more dynamic with the lower leg don't they and, and use the legs to, to kick a bit more and i'm i i sort of feel that he would maybe fall into that latter category yes. um so, That's so exactly I, what i'm getting at 
but I I don't know whether that whether he's changed his changed. I, I'd have to go back and look at a load of videos to work out whether he's significantly changed his style in light of the new the new rules. Speaking Absolutely, of, I mean, he's wrestled with them, hasn't he? The the, yeah. the new rules somewhat. So I uh, you know I wonder whether there's there's an element of that. But it, you know, as I said, I I just have one hundred percent sympathy with Sean Quinlan. Talking of rules, um, the starts at Cheltenham weren't great this year. There were a lot of full starts, more than there should have been. And Danny Mullins has successfully appealed against a one-day ban that he received for being in uh, being found in breach of starting regulations, together with a whole a whole bunch of others. But he's he's won his appeal. Yes, he was one of five jockeys who received a ban for uh, what happened at the start of the Boodles Fred Winter. Michael O'Sullivan, Harry Swan and David Noonan were also, like Danny, banned for, for one day. Luca Morgan, because it was his second offence within 12 months, got two days. Um, but Danny Mullins has successfully um, argued... Um, well, the BHA argued that Danny Mullins had uh, completed his turn to face the starter, that he sat into his his saddle to encourage his mount to go, go forward and ultimately contributed to the full start. And Danny Mullins made the argument that he was the last to turn. He was required to turn by the starter. He said that he never engaged his mount to move forward. It's quite clear to see by my legs and hands that I'm restraining the horse. And he makes the point that he was not actually, according to the video evidence, in the front rank that caused one of the two full starts. Um, and the chair of the disciplinary panel, Philip Curl, was inclined to agree with Danny Mullins's argument. The panel had a look at the video evidence from several angles. That evidence was primary in their decision. And they decided that they were not satisfied that the British Horse Racing Authority had proved their case against Danny Mullins. What did you? I mean, in terms of the starts, Nick. Yeah. I mean, you were you were covering these closely because you were anchoring the racing TV coverage <laughs> and therefore having to pick up after one of the full starts, you know, and and, and talk about what just happened. Did you see a theme across the across the four days? Yeah. So I think the the long rolling start has started to fail, and I don't really know why. So. I understand the idea of getting them well back from the tape and walking in because it gives you a greater shot of getting them in some kind of straight line and getting the tape up. But I think they're going too. I think they're going too far back. And if mm. you get one that's a little bit headstrong, you're screwed. And the jockey can't do anything about it. If you get a horse like who was the uh, who's the barn pot that that uh, poor old, yeah that Niall Hulan was trying to ride in the Triumph Hurdle, and he wasn't the only one. You've got on a horse like that, and you're being asked to come in from round the bend, mm. you know, in a, in a very, very quiet walk, come jig jog. You've got absolutely that horse is going to break the tape. It was a absolutely. long on shot. Well, I mean, the the triumph was obviously in the circumstances that you've just described and how they approached the tape was an accident waiting to happen. Happen. Jupiter Dejit is a head case. I think his trainer Gary Moore acknowledges that. But Zipko was the same as well. Um, not to quite the same degree, but he was too keen down the start. Hypotenuse, I think, was the third one. And even Blood Destiny in the race itself got caught up in all of that, and that probably partly explains why he did far too much. He was in and around these horses that had got revved up by the way the start happened, and it was just you know the, the triumph hurdle ended up being unsatisfactory and you've mentioned there were a number of other races um that were unsatisfactory for that reason and it would be nice i think a good idea if the british Horsing authority proactively and maybe they're already doing this took a look at at the starts and you know did it did did so from an objective oh. angle not I've... just about whether their rules have been complied to but whether the setup is 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 the best is is most conducive to a competitive and fair race 
Did you notice that last week the starts were better when they were going away from home as well, which is not a massive surprise. The, the horses were always obviously much more G'd up when they're coming back towards home. Mm. Um, so a lot of those three mile start, hurdle starts were fine. I think there needs uh, there needs to be some more thought put in, and as I said, not just purely from the from the perspective of did the jockeys keep to our rules. It's more that you know could could the setups be better, and that's something for Cheltenham to think about as well. I think you reach a point where there's just one too many, and you think no, that that's got to be a systemic failure rather than rather than a failure of all these humans on this many occasions. Agree. And while we're on the subject of appeals, Jeremy Scott, the popular uh, West Country-based trainer, has announced um, that he, he and his owners are going to appeal the demotion of their stable star, Dashiell Drasher, from second place in the Stairs Hurdle. Uh, they've got a shot, I think. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure. I can, I can kind of see it. I'm thinking back to when um, Pied Piper and Night Salute dead-heated at Aintree. Uh, the interference being deemed to have taken place at the final hurdle mm. and uh, Pied Piper was demoted. This is, uh, you know, uh, Gordon Elliott and David Russell being on the other side um, of of that argument with Chupo. I think the most significant interference happens with the drift approaching the last hurdle. And then there is also a switch around. David Russell tries to go up the right-hand side of Dashiell Drasher and he starts edging that way as well. And the difference is only a nose I, I don't know. It's worth a shot. I, I felt desperately sorry that after such a fabulous performance, Dashiell Drasher was demoted to third. But I can see why uh, the stewards have made the decision that they have. I, I think it's it's not a controversial decision, albeit it is emotionally difficult. Good news if you're a fan of Constitution Hill. Let's face it, who isn't a fan of Constitution Hill? Good news if you're a fan of horse racing, because Constitution Hill has a brand new little sister uh, fold yesterday. So by Blue Brazil, out of the King's Theatre Mayor, Queen of the Stage, Queen of the Stage, who now is owned by Jane McGiven, who you've heard on the podcast before, chiefly talking about her own stallion, Golden Horn. But now, um, do I call you the, the, the proud mum by proxy of, uh, of Constitution Hill's little sister? <laughs> Uh, I am amazingly proud and completely overexcited, if I'm honest. But uh, I'm not a fan of being called the mother of animals. You know, people sort of say, mum of this dog or whatever of that horse or cat. Um, I, I, uh, so no, please don't call me a mum. But no. you can call me the proudest person on the planet. Because Queen of the, Queen of the Stage is the Queen of National Hunt mums anyway because she's produced the best hurdler in a, in a generation. Tell us how she's doing and how the foal's doing. Um, they are both doing amazingly well. Um, she um, she liked to do it her own way, Queen of the Stage. She wanted to go into the paddock. She likes being out. So um, they led her out for a little wander around and a roll just to keep things moving because she's a little bit late. She was a little bit late. Fall was actually due on Champion Hurdle Day, which would have been uh, great fun. Um, and um, they went 30, 30, they do 30-minute checks because she's so close to foaling. And 30 minutes later, they went out and there was the foal. She'd done it all on her own in the field, like a good one. Wow. The way that nature intended. And what a cracking little filly she is. She's absolutely super. We're delighted with her. 
nothing wrong with her at all. Um, and Queen of the Stage is an amazing mother. Uh, she's got such a kind temperament anyway. She's such a sweet horse. She's trusting of everybody. She's very laid back. She's mothering beautifully, and the foal is straight in there. Like bar, we have bar in the car at Cheltenham. We have bar in the barn um, with Queen of the Stage, and the foal is taking full advantage of it. Uh, that's that's wonderful news. I'm guessing you wanted a filly, given that this is the this is the first foal you've had out of her. I absolutely was desperate for a filly, and I didn't do any of the testing or anything. I just thought, what will be will be. Anything that's healthy and you know in good shape would be have been amazing. But a filly is a treble bonus. I mean, oh, you know, it's important that we have this bloodline. It's important that we keep this bloodline in the UK for British breeding, and that's what I'm going to do. I did a deal with my husband, who is weeping quietly in a corner as we speak, because the deal was, Philly, you can keep her, Jane, um, and Colt, we have to sell it. We have to sell him eventually, um, because this is supposed to be a business. And, um, of course, it was a filly, so I get to keep her. Uh, he'd already named the Colt Pension Fund, so <laughs> he is actually quietly weeping in the corner at the moment. Not really, but, uh, you know, <laughs> next time maybe, David, or maybe we'll get another filly. That would be wonderful. <laughs> if she just keeps keeps producing fillies, you'll be happy. Now, do you just go with a tried-and-tested formula now and send her back to Blue Brazil as many times as, as you can? Um, she's definitely going back to Blue Brazil, which is why she's foaled in Ireland rather than at home. Um, um, uh, why not? You know, what a what a bloodline. I mean, Blue Brazil's a wonderful stallion. There's absolutely nothing that you can say about him that isn't good. And if I didn't uh, own Golden Horn, um, you know, we'd be going back for as long as Queen of the Stage wanted to go back to him. Uh, he's de- she's definitely going to him this year. Um, but next year I kind of have it in mind that Golden Horn uh, is also a wonderful stallion and there's nothing bad to say about him Um, and it would be quite interesting to see it's a beautiful match in pedigree terms and it'd be quite interesting to see what pops out of that union Um, but then possibly back to Blue Brazil and interchange, I don't know I haven't really thought beyond this year but certainly Golden Horn will be featuring at some stage I hope so. And how is he getting on? Um, obviously, you were very uh, generous and supported us with the charitable endeavour, and he was incredibly popular there as well. How how many mares do you think he'll cover this year, Jane? Um, well, I keep telling Simon that we're full and to stop <laughs> to stop letting any more in. Um, I think we need to learn a little bit about him. I know some stallions cover many more than 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 he is going to cover this year uh, but i just think we need to learn a little bit about him ourselves before we sort of start um going uh, down a, a longer route but I, I think i think it's fair to say we've got well over 190 booked wow for him so he he is full so- <laughs> um unless kenny alexander changes his mind um he's full excellent um kenny the invitation's always there but i know he does have a mare in foal to golden horn i have been told so um, oh, well that's very exciting perhaps you know perhaps we'll catch the selector's eye next year <laughs> jane great news about constitution hill's little sister um uh, we can't wait for her to to appear on the race course and time will fly past and she'll be there before you know it 
Yeah, let's hope so, because um, every day I'm thinking, are you okay? <laughs> I'm sure she, she will just be a foal in the field with the other foals in the field having a good time. She's just going to live her life. So, um, uh, and we'll sort of check back in in a couple of years. Well, thank you to Jane. Thanks to all my guests. Today. Lydia is still here. That's nice that Constitution Hill has got a, a baby sister, full sister as well. It's absolutely lovely. Uh, you know, lo lovely to hear that. But oh, God, the weight of expectation on her. I mean, they're going to have to be very careful about how they name name her, can't they? It's like calling your daughter, I don't know, Chastity or, <laughs> <laughs> or Sunshine <laughs> when they're a moody teenager. <laughs> it puts a weight of expectation on you, doesn't it? <laughs> um, did you ever feel any, any weight of expectation with the name Lydia? Uh, I kind of did, actually. I kind of did. Um, uh, In the it, kind it of Pride like, and Prejudice sense, or well, no. Funny enough, it's not. I'm not named after Lydia from Pride of the Prejudice, the sort of silky, silky, headstrong, uh, <laughs> sex mad um, <laughs> uh, eloper. Um, I am actually named after this. Steamy... I would do, don't do that again. When I'm just, I'm just taking a gulp of water. <laughs> I say sex mad. That's the underlying element of the text, isn't it? Um, naive, naive as well. All of that kind of stuff. Anyway, I'm named after the scheming Lydia in Love for Lydia, my mother um, revealed to me. Um, and I, I I, read the book and I was so I was so perplexed as to why you would want to name your daughter after that character. Uh, but nonetheless, that's the that's that's why I'm called Lydia. H.E. Bates. Love wow. Lydia. Wow, I got more than I was expecting there, which is just fabulous. Um, right. <laughs> Could you provide me with some betting advice? Uh, I like... Uh, Gamble responsibly, obviously. Obviously. Um, I like at Kelso in the 150, uh, tomorrow, Saturday, uh, Prairie Wolf, who's been in great form since Sue Smith applied the cheek pieces, was going really well um, against... Um, uh, uh, last time out, uh, I'm trying to remember the horse that beat him. Galahad Threepwood, that's it, who beat him narrowly. He made a, quite a critical error, I think, at the second last, but it confirmed that he was in still in very good form. So I am with uh, Prairie Wolf in the 150 at Kelso. Uh, Kelso have done it again, haven't they? They've managed to they've managed to get the limelight for a second Saturday in three weeks or four. Yeah, three weeks. It can be done. It can be done. I mean, it's it, they're having a, a cracking run and all power to their elbow. But isn't it interesting, though, that we I know we're a bit of a diversion and we've got to shut up in a minute. But isn't it interesting that we spend all our time or talking about how, um, you know, there's not enough there's not enough ability to do things that are dynamic and interesting and, you know, front foot and money's in short supply and somehow a, an independent smaller race course can get the lion's share of the terrestrial television coverage you know two in four weekends at a fairly significant time of the year when viewing figures are quite good yes um i i, I totally agree i mean i think has this partly been an evolution of the the go north project which was partly um initiative from the british horse racing authority i don't know i'm i'm and that this is now the the mature version of it. I could be wrong about that. Well, but... If that if that's the case, then yeah, if that's the case, then then that's an example of parties seeming to dare I say it work together to a positive end. Yeah, well, and there's the there's the um, mayor's novices handicap hurdle hurdle final, and that definitely would be an industry wide initiative, wouldn't it, to get the mayor racing on beyond bumpers or racing at all rather than being sent straight to the breeding shed so uh, again you know that that is that is an industry-wide initiative pulling together and reaching a a, a culmination 
hurrah we all feel better about life it's friday march the 24th we'll see you again on monday uh i won't be around next week because i am off um but tom and charlotte will be taking you through the podcast next week thank you very much for listening i will see you again on my return you've been listening to nick luck daily brought to you in association with fitzdares the racehorse owners association and thoroughbred racing commentary Thank you.